Welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z. So glad to have you with us today. We are now in season three, looking at the nature of stress. We're going to dive into this ancient system and the way it works and plays out in our lives and talk with some truly amazing people who have knowledge and insights to help us find our way through the dance of life and the dance of stress that will have heart and truth and love in them. It's going to be amazing, I promise. Let's do this. Enjoy. Here we go. Mark Brackett, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm really glad and stoked to have you on the show today. Thanks for showing up. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about emotions and stress. This is a season, the third season of the podcast dedicated towards conversations around stress. And I digested your book. I I listened to it. I think it's great. Permission to Feel. Thank you. And one of the things I want to just appreciate about your work off the top is something that I feel kindred with is depathologizing human nature, that your work with emotions really invites us into our human nature in a very beautiful way, in a, a skillful way. And so I really appreciate that about the spirit of your career and your work. So thank you for that work. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So I thought a great uh, starting point for our conversation today would be the distinction you make in your Permission to Feel book between the emotion scientist and the emotion judge. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think we, most of us, even across cultures have grown up, you know, in a society where, you know, we're taught that emotions are something to be denied, suppressed, repressed, not talked about. And that really influences the way we kind of our attitudes about feelings. And I don't think it's healthy, right? Because our emotions are a big part, if not the biggest part of what makes us human. And so why are we denying such a big part of who we are? And you know, in my running around the world trying to get people to talk about their feelings, I noticed that, you know, a lot of people, more men than women, say things like, you know, not my job to talk about feelings, you know, or, um, you know, I've got the corner office, you know, why do I need to think about how people feel? With that said, you know, I did a lot of thinking when I was writing my book about what are these kind of like, you know, of course, we don't want to break everything up into a dichotomy, but there are in many ways, people who are emotion judges, you know, they think emotions should be denied or suppressed. They're pretty critical and judgmental of emotions. They don't really want to know how you're feeling. You know, they just want to get to work and focus and, and they don't really see themselves as changeable people. Like, this is who I am. Like, I'm the angry person. I'm this person. And I'm not going to do anything about it. And um, I've worked for some of these people, work with some of these people. Um, And it's really hard to be around people, you know, that are so closed to feeling. And then there's the emotion scientist who is open, curious, reflective. You know, they want to know really, you know, is it stress or is it anxiety? Or are you angry or are you disappointed? And those people, you know, when we fail at dealing with our feelings, are more curious. Like, hey, wait a minute. Like, I don't know about you, but I failed like a thousand times over the last couple of years during the pandemic. And you know, I could have been like, you know, oh, it's the pandemic or like whatever, or this is just who I am or say, you know what, like what really triggered me and why did I respond that way? And, you know, what might I do differently tomorrow? And so that's the emotion scientist. 
What I appreciate about that, Mark, is the curiosity, that spirit of coming to things with curiosity. But one of the things that you say in your book is you say emotional intelligence is as important as IQ. Tell me why emotional intelligence and describe what emotional intelligence is and why is it as important as our mental cognitive capacity to understand the world? Sure. I mean, obviously, general cognitive ability intelligence is important, right? You got to like problem solving skills around math and science and language. They're all good stuff. But you know, in many ways, you know, emotional intelligence is is the relational aspect of our intelligence. It's, you know, empathizing, it's connecting, it's building and maintaining healthy relationships. How many really smart people do we know that don't get along well with people, you know, that make bad decisions? And so for me, emotional intelligence contributes to kind of the things that general intelligence doesn't. And sometimes they both work together, but in general, um, you know, helping people to problem solve around how they feel and manage their feelings um, is really important. And just one example, one of our scientists, her name is Rana, she studies creative people. And what, what she finds is that emotional, regular intelligence, it's important for creativity. But at some point, it kind of like levels out. You know, it's just like you don't have to be a genius to be creative. Um, so the, what other skills? Well, Think about the creative process, right? If you're designing a piece of music or a piece of art or let's say you're an architect, whatever your work is, right? There's creativity involved in it. A lot of it is about well, imagining, you know, how people feel, how they can experience that space. Well, that's an, another form of intelligence. It's not cognitive ability. And I think even more importantly, I don't know about you, but in my journey to achieve my dreams, there have been people who have been mean to me and cruel to me. Um, there have been um, times when I'm just so anxious and overwhelmed or disappointed or frustrated or whatever it is. And if you don't have the strategies to deal with the emotions that are part of the journey to success, oftentimes you don't achieve it. What are emotions for in your view and your understanding? Emotions serve a purpose, right? They're information, they're data. Uh, they inform how we think. They inform what we think about. They inform the judgments we make. Think about this for a minute. Your emotions are underneath every choice. That's provocative, right? Because people, oh, that's a rational choice. Come on. A lot of it is feeling. Um, in addition, emotions drive our relationships. Do you like to be around people who are disgruntled all the time. No, I don't like that. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, me neither. It's like, you know, like, wait a minute. Like, it's like, can you smile at this once today? You know, can you stop complaining for one minute? Um, and so emotions are signals to approach, to avoid. And so it's endless. They're, they're, they're contribute to our physical and mental health. And as I said already, they serve a purpose in helping us to, um, kind of reason with and about problems to help us achieve our dreams. Yeah, that's interesting. So you think emotions are there guiding us to understand what's going on in relationship to our dreams? I do. Tell me more about that. Because think about it, you know, it's passion. It's, 
inspiration, it's awe. These are all feelings that pull us and push us to do the things that we are passionate about. And so, you know, if we don't create a sense of inspiration and curiosity and relevance and meaningfulness in learning, for example, then why bother? I'm not a robot. I'm not a computer where you're going to enter data. Right. I want to. Yeah. And so feeling is such a critical piece of it. No, I'm with that. I, I would consider, I was thinking about your work and the ideas that you, you wrote. And I was thinking a lot about this idea of emotional artistry that I like the science aspect of it. And I like the curiosity and the ruler approach, which we might discuss in the time we have today. Um, that you, that's out, outlined in your book. Um, sure. But I was thinking about the artistry part of it, and you're actually speaking to that level of artistry, the fulfillment that comes along with a rich tapestry of emotions that one can relate, utilize, and benefit from, as opposed to judge, contain, box, avoid, you know, uh, displace. I'm sorry, what's your, so where do you want to go with yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great question. Where do I want to go? Well, I, I just was echoing that this idea. So I'm looking for a way in on this conversation around where stress and emotions meet. And what I'm hearing you say, and I'm asking about how you see from your education and experience, how you see the value of emotions and what they do. And so you tied in their information that help us with our dreams. I was really curious about the exploring the connection between emotions and our life dreams and how it, they guide us as information in relationship to, a, I mean, a higher value, right? A dream. It's not just survival. I know you say emotions are there for survival, but if you take it to the level of dream, that's another level above survival. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, survival is the, at the bottom of the pyramid, right? Um, we want to make sure that's the priority at first, but once those basic needs are met, you know, we want to help people self-actualize, right? Achieve their dreams in life. And I think, like I said a moment ago, that many people don't achieve their dreams in life because, one, I mean, they're not given opportunities to even dream and create a vision. But two, they oftentimes don't have the skills they need to navigate that complex journey. You know, I, as I said, you know, so many... There's naysayers in my work. There's people who are envious and jealous and they want to be better. There are people who, um, you know, policies that get in the way, you know, the list goes on. And so that brings, you know, me to the question about, well, what are the skills? And so the first is recognizing emotions. You got to be, you got to be aware. Like, how are you feeling? Jeff, you didn't even ask me how I'm feeling today. How are you feeling today? Thanks for asking. Um, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll be honest. Real, I'm going to interrupt you for a sec. I said, how are you? I said, how are you? At the, when we first, and so I didn't ask how you're feeling. Do you see the distinction there between the sensitivity of how are you? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. You're a dude. Dudes don't say feeling, <laughs> right? How's it going, man? <laughs> I can't even say that right. I'm not, you're pretty I'm not good. Like I think, I think you could do it. Yeah. All right. Hey man, how's it going? Um, good, good, good. Yeah, great, cool. All right, thanks. Bye. Um, so we have a, a big leadership institute every year, and today is the second day of that. We have thirty districts from around the United States coming together to kind of go deeper with our work, which is great. But a lot of planning, 
and it just ended at three and then I had a meeting from three to four mm -hmm. and then somehow or another I agreed to do this with you at four <laughs> um, and I'm like oh yeah. you have terrible decision making Mark <laughs> no just kidding um, and so I'm feeling relieved because I think the days the two days went great uh, but I'm tired and I'm excited to be with you I like you I appreciate the work that you've done um, and so I'm feeling a lot of feelings how about you? Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. I appreciate you dropping into that and presencing that. Um, I Like I said, when we first I was a little amped, I had a lot of uh, convergence of, um, a lot of convergence of things collision suddenly in the last two hours before getting to this time together. Uh -huh. And so uh, some of it was parenting and, and a daughter going off to college and things we were trying to work with and somewhat fighting about last night at home and, and then her being stressed and me not being available today. So that was winding me up. And then I was trying to consolidate my sense of how I want to approach it. And, and so I was amped up and uh, feel, I guess feeling high energy and unpleasant. It was close to anxiety, maybe a little nervousness, but also energy and then now I feel great. It's really nice to relax and I'm enjoying going, okay. Because my experience of you is very extroverted when you're talking and you're in a big social situation. So this is the first time I've actually sat down and saw the, the calmer energy or maybe the more tired energy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm like. That's funny because I'm not an extrovert, by the way. Um, I, I really don't even like people. Um, that's a joke, by the I way. I got it. Uh, I'm letting everybody who's listening laugh right now. Yeah, everybody else <laughs> responds except for you. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert, but um, yeah. I know how to like. I gotta like you're on your you, when you do your show. You gotta do your show. Yeah. Uh, it's another form of emotional intelligence, right? Is that I realize that the audience needs that energy, so I put out that energy for a presentation. But then, as the introvert, I know that I need strategies to restore. Whereas the extrovert wants to keep going. Yeah. The introvert is like, all right, I'm glad no one has any questions. I'm going back to my hotel room. Thank you. <laughs> Which is usually not true. Usually there's a long line of individual questions after a presentation, right? Yeah. Which I don't like that much, actually. Uh, that's honest. <laughs> no, that's I don't mind it, but it's the, um, it's more about where you get your energy from. I get my energy from being actually doing stuff like this, um, or, you know, small gatherings. You know, I can be the, the show person for an hour, but I don't sustain that energy very well where the extrovert would. But this is all about self-awareness that we're talking about. You know, what am I feeling? What are you feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What causes my feelings? What are the consequences of my feelings? Labeling feelings. Am I excited or am I happy? Am I down or am I disappointed? Am I angry or am I frustrated? And from ruler's perspective, that stuff really matters. For many people who are, you know, as Lisa Feldman Barrett, a very well-known researcher, says they're clumpers, right? People are like, feel like shit, feel good, right? I'm tired, you know, fine. But when you really help people be self-aware, you know, when you ask me how I'm feeling, I'm telling you, like right now, I'm both excited and exhausted. I am anticipatory about I have things to get done tonight that I don't want to do because we've been moving and I'm like, oh, the last thing I want to do is paperwork after dinner. And so, but knowing how I feel and knowing how you feel, 
can guide us. Like it, since you were feeling like all the stuff going on with your daughter in college, and I just got off done this two day of training, right? Maybe we should have called each other, and said, "Hey, let's do this over the weekend <laughs> or next week," right? It's like <laughs> it would have been better for both of us. Or maybe we can be emotionally intelligent and say, "You know, Mark, you got to regulate your feelings. You agreed to do this, and so be your best self and come present and." or at least be as present as possible, and you could do the same. So that's, yeah. that's all the kind of awareness piece. Does that make sense? That's the, what we call the R, the U, and the L. Recognizing, understanding, labeling. Now, the big question is, what do I do with all these feelings? And so, like, for example, Jeff, I know you. I've, yeah, I think I met you probably three times, four times maybe over the course Sounds of right. the yeah. decade. And so the question is, like, do I feel comfortable telling you how I feel, you know, uh, am I going to express my true feelings? Uh, another question is, well, what's your strategy, Mark? So what I did, I had a meeting before this one and I decided I could not sit because I've been sitting for the entire day. And I just took, I said to my, it was with my assistant, Michelle, and I just said, let's do a phone call instead of a zoom meeting. And that way I can get on my phone. And then I took a half hour walk while I did the call because I I knew my body needed that. If I were to just sit through that and then through this, I would be like, ugh. And so that's the regulation piece. It's like knowing what you need to feel the way you want to feel. Yeah, no, that's good. I like that. There was one thing you started to say around the expression piece that I found really interesting was this language. There were certain parts of your knowledge around emotions and the, the language that's there that's very inviting. And one of them is, I think, is maybe called display rules, uh -huh. rules of what's allowed, what emotions are allowed and what kind of context, you know, and what and how that shapes our experience of emotions and what we feel like we're allowed to say or not say. It seems like because we have a context, you're saying it's okay to actually talk about our emotional states. Yeah, it's a decision we make based on how we feel in the moment. You're right. And so, you know, do you trust me? Do you not trust me? Do I trust you? Do I not trust you? Trust is a big deal um, in terms of talking about feelings, because maybe you'll use them against me um, or maybe you'll I'll dismiss you. Be like, suck it up, buttercup. What you're getting at here is the rules that we set for ourselves in terms of our kind of internal comfort expressing, like based on my personality. And then the second, what you're getting at is kind of like what's necessary to get the job done. So for example, a kindergarten teacher, right? You've seen those teachers, right? The, like the ones that are quote unquote, the best ones. Good morning, everyone. Mr. Brackett is here. Today is going to be an excellent day. We're going to do this and this and this and this. Inside, you know, the teacher might be going through a divorce or, you know, feeling burnt out, but they feel like to meet the demands of their job and to support children's kind of growth as their students, they got to show the positivity. That takes a toll on your life, right? When you're always in um, the display rule mode and not in the real mark mode. Now, that's what life is, right? Life, you have to do this once in a while because, you know, if you're a police officer, you can't be like, you know, I need you to pull over. 
<laughs> like it doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, yeah, exactly. Excuse me, sir. Don't make me turn my sock. <laughs> right. Um, like that's not going to work. You got to be stern. Like you ever go when you, I know at the airport, I, I always fly out of Newark airport and like move the vehicle, move the vehicle, you know, yeah. all day long. They're like yelling at people to not park, you know, to pick up people. And then if you're doing that all day long, move the vehicle, you know, then you go home to your kids. It's like, you know, how do you, do you change? Can you get out of that display rule? It's a great question. It's hard. Or you're just so burnt. Then it's like, you've been doing this with your face all day. That kind of scrunchy move the vehicle. It's hard to smile, right? Because you're depleted. You know, it's, it's like takes brain matter and muscle to, um, to do that work. I like Lisa Feldman Barrett's work. I, um, I definitely enjoyed her book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. It's great. It's great. And so prediction and stress and emotion are all very close in evolution for me. So when I ask the question around what's the function of emotion, I have a sense that upstream from emotion are deep principles around human nature that are evolved that there's, there's, there's internal pressures that are coming from within our organism to build a decent social group so we can survive or, you know, be motivated to move so we can eat. So I see stress as an upstream calculation in the brain that's predicting and working all the time and emotions as, as maybe the the tool at which that stress strategy or stress intelligence in the system is working itself out, letting it know like, Hey, you don't have to be stressed right now because you have your, your predictive models good. And then once that deep algorithm of prediction and navigation starts to get unwieldy, something goes wrong. It's like, Oh my God, now I'm going to have to go and take this extra flight to this other state to get back to my original meeting on time. You know, the, then all of a sudden, boom, the emotions kick in there. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, it's like a lot going on there. Um, I don't know. I think that feels like complicated to me, to be honest. And I try not to be too complicated because it's hard to like, all right, so what do I do? How do I get better at this? And the way I think, you know, I think also, Jeff, what I would recommend is that we get even more granular than the word stress. Because stress, you know, there's a demand, right? There's, there's positive stress, as you know. There's that you stress, which is like that, like, come on, push me, push me, come on, challenge me. That's a good stress because it makes you kind of be vigilant and like work harder. Then there's that distress, which is the stress that makes you feel like you're going to fall apart. Not great. Chronic, toxic stress. Then there's also um, other forms of stress, like anxiety and pressure and fear uh, and overwhelm and so in our work I really like people to have a wider range of words to describe how they feel because you know when I the way we define them and we like to help people find common definitions for feelings so what do I mean anxiety is about uncertainty we, we get anxious because we perceive the world as being uncertain. We can't make predictions. Like, what's going to happen? Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? I don't know. 
Fear is about danger. I'm threatened. I feel like I'm going to get hurt. Stress is having too many demands, not enough resources. Pressure, something at stake is dependent upon, you know, my own behavior. Um, so you see stress as an emotion? Uh-huh. Yeah, because it's a, it's a response to a change in your environment. All of a sudden, like, my boss came into my office and said, Mark, you've got to read all these papers by tomorrow morning. Okay. How the hell is that going to happen? You know, that stresses you out because it's a demand. You can't get it done. It's not really anxiety. There's no uncertainty really about it. It's pretty clear. You know, anxiety is like I'm sitting at home and like, I remember this like in March of 2020, like 15th, 20th of March, like I'm watching the stock market, 1,000 points down, 2,000 points down, 3,000 points down, 4,000 points down. And, um... You know, coronavirus is killing this many more people every day. Oh my God, am I going to get coronavirus? Oh my God, what's happening? Am I going to be poor? Am I going to never have any money again? Blah, 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 blah. All the uncertainty. And so the strategy, and the reason why I say this is that we're going back to that regulation piece. The strategy that you, Jeff or I, would use to regulate the feeling or emotion will vary as a function of what the actual experience is about. If it's about uncertainty, I'm probably going to have to manage, like, Mark, how much control do you have over the stock market? Not very much. All right, well, then let it go. Because, like, what are you going to worry about it all day for if you don't have any control over it? So your action plan, right, really shifts as a function of being highly emotionally self-aware. And you use the word granular to describe that. The more granular you can understand and label the nature of your feeling and see the underlying emotion and what it's tied to, the more effective you can be in navigating that. Yeah. If it's overwhelm, you know, it's like, just go outside and look at the trees, take a breath, give yourself some space. You know, if it's fear, get the help you need or find out more about the, the thing you're afraid of. Are you, is it made up or is it real? Are they, you know, I joke about this, but I live in the countryside of Connecticut now. You know, I've never lived. I always lived in cities, pretty much. You know, I lived in suburbia as a kid, but then New York City and New Haven, Connecticut. Now I live where I have a lot of property, and I'm in the middle of nowhere land. And animals come by my house. <laughs> Coyotes and wolves and and bobcats. And I was I completely freaked out a couple of months ago, and there was a bobcat walking by my house. And I'm thinking... I'm dead. Dogs are dead. I'm done. And the truth is I knew nothing about bobcats. So much of it is about appraisal. So what was I really feeling? Well, in that moment it was fear because I appraised the bobcat as being a threat to my survival. And so the strategy is like, lock the doors, don't let the dogs out. Pretty practical. But when I was told that our center was going to be fully virtual, I'm like, how the heck do you lead a team of 60 people from your kitchen counter? So I started getting anxious because I was uncertain. Like, what's, what's going to happen? How am I going to make this work? Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. And I see that when there, I see uncertainty as a kind of stress because there is more work and demand that comes along with uncertainty to figure out. Sometimes we can change ourselves, We can change our appraisal. And sometimes I see we need to take action in the world and maybe change our environment 
in the stock market example and be like, well, I could change my position. I can't control what the stock market's going to do, but I can change my portfolio. Um, but I do really appreciate the granular nature because I do feel that emotions are very specific and they are, are, they are guides, they are signals, and they are teachers which help us understand our condition, that they, are, they help deepen us in our relationships and give us information around danger, safety, happiness, fulfillment, longing, dreams. Like I, I like all that. So I, have, I, have I heard you right in terms of what you've been saying? Yeah, completely. This aspect of regulation, I think, is really important because, okay, let's say we recognize, understand, accurately label it in a very granular way, and then you have these other two dimensions, which are expressing it and regulation, which is what do you, what do, you do with the emotion when it's present? And one of the ideas I thought was really interesting was this idea of co-regulation, that, you know, there's somehow that we affect each other's emotions and somehow we can benefit each other emotionally. Is that my understanding that right? Co-regulation in that way? Yeah. Um, I mean, in the basic level, think about it as, you know, you're a parent and your baby's crying and you either <laughs> sit your baby in a crate and say, good luck, baby. Right. And whatever happens, happens. Or you know, you, you know, hold your baby and you put your little nose and their little nose together and you blow in their face and you talk to them with a soothing voice. And yeah. that's co-regulation, right? You are supporting the deactivation of the nervous system, you know, through your vocal tone, your facial expressions and your behavior. And that's from early childhood up into um, leading a company. You know, I always tell in my work in education, which is where I spend most of my time, that teachers are powerful people when they stand in front of that classroom and how they feel and how they express those feelings can dramatically impact the emotional climate of that classroom. Same thing with a parent. And so a stressed out parent is going to be a stressed out kid. A stressed out teacher is going to be a stressed out classroom. Also... You know, you've obviously read my book, so you know about my Uncle Marvin. Yeah. Who is my hero. Yeah, Uncle Marvin. He's great. And so aren't there people in your life that, like, just their mere presence changes your whole system? Absolutely. That's co-regulation. And so... Is that also bonding? Is that also a function of bonding? Like yeah, being bonded? Definitely. That healthy attachment or bonding is part of co-regulation being around people who you perceive as calming can be calming and so um you know this is why some people are always on the edge you know uh, because the people they work for are always stressed out and what are you talking about? what are you doing you know it's like constantly activated um not helpful for your nervous system or your well-being. Um, I think in the most simplest sense, you know, we can call it interpersonal regulation or co-regulation is just being there for people, asking them those curious questions about how they're feeling and then saying, you know, what do you need right now? What can I do to support you? And then try to, su try to help them think through. I was doing this just the other day. Uh, you know, this terrible, terrible, terrible shooting that happened in Highland Park, Illinois. 
one of how many have happened over the last couple of years. It's just awful. Um, and this woman, who's a good friend of mine, she said that her daughter, did not, who's in high school, um, was afraid to go to work that day. And she said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to her. I don't know what to, you know, we chatted a little bit. And, um, and we just started talking about how is staying at home ruminating about this going to be really helpful? Or is maybe being around your friends at work and talking, you know, possibly better for your well-being? And so I think part of co-regulation and interpersonal regulation is getting to know the person and learning what strategies that you can suggest to them to try to support the healthy regulation of emotion. I want to stick with this idea of regulation or the, the function of regulation a little sure. bit more because I, f- I found it really interesting. And you, you, you spoke to this, but I want to highlight it because I was really moved by this sense that regulation is a core aspect of our lives that starts when we're born, you know, and that, that there's ways in which we're, we learn how to soothe or we, we learn to receive soothing or we find soothing for our different emotional conditions or different nervous system states, however you want to describe it and how massive it is and, and that know-how of managing emotions. And you also write extensively in your book, permission to feel about how uh, we all struggle at different levels. We all at sometimes overestimate our capacity and understanding of motion emotions. And I also think at other times we, underestimate our emotions or dismiss emotions when we, you know, that feeling of like, oh, I knew that was going down or we, we don't trust our intuition or our feelings. So I was, I was caught between this deep appreciation of, wow, this whole regulation system is such a massive skill and how there's so many dysregulated or dysfunctional versions of that that we have going on. And also this appreciation that I want to bring in around how good we are or aren't at it and how sometimes we can really miss the point. I know that's absolutely true in my life, but also there's this other thing. Sometimes there's this wisdom and we don't necessarily listen to the wisdom of the emotions at the same time. So I'm just going to lay that out there for you to respond to. Yeah. You're, you're speaking near and dear to my heart because I'm working on my next book, which is on regulation. Um, I just feel like it's something that needs to be deeply explored because I think you know, I, I joke about this, but, you know, my first book is like, everybody has the permission to feel, but now it's like, what the hell do I do with all these feelings? <laughs> uh, and so I talk about regulation, but not in a very elaborate way. And what I've learned, you know, for myself, you know, I always tell people like, the pandemic stole my strategies, right? I used to go to hot yoga classes. It's like, who's going to a hot <laughs> yoga class in the middle of COVID? <laughs> right? It's like, done with that. So I learned to take long walks. I learned to have difficult conversations with my partner and my mother-in-law that I never thought I'd have to have. But, you know, uh, I joke because my mother-in-law moved in with us and I just wasn't prepared. I thought it was going to be a month or two, eight months. It's like, I love you, but get out of my house. And so like, it was just hard. It was like coexisting and eating meals together and cleaning meals and you know, do I say hello to you in the hallway this morning or can I just be my own thing? And so regulation is a lifelong skill. And I think that's a big deal. 
regulation is learned early in life, usually um, implicitly by observing. You know, for example, my mother, who I loved, but was not skilled at regulating, she would say things like, don't tell me the details of what's happening. I can't handle it. I'm going to have a breakdown. And so I just heard my mother saying that all the time. I'm having a breakdown. I'm having a breakdown. So here I was like 25 years old on a flight with one of my colleagues going to a thing. I was so exhausted. And, and she's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm having a breakdown. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> guess what? Thanks, mama. Um, you know, I learned it. And it was just, it's, it was interesting. Like I picked up that strategy whenever I was overwhelmed or I didn't feel like doing something. I'm having a breakdown. It was like my excuse for not engaging, you know? And so I'm like, okay, good to know. It's not too good to be the director of a center who's telling everybody when the, when the tough, when it gets really hard to like, that you're having a breakdown, you know, probably not the best role model. Well, I, I mean, I wonder if we can, if we bring the um, uh, motion s scientist to it and then motion judge, I know it's easy to maybe judge the avoidant parts of ourself. I know it is for me when I see that I'm, uh, I'm not showing up in the way I'd like to in my ideal self or I'm caught in a, a lesser pattern of a, what I would call stress response. You'd probably call an emotion uh, behavior or something. Um, but yeah, so like the breakdown part. What was it doing? What if you used your language and your understanding? What was it actually doing in that moment as a regulation mechanism? Well, I don't think it was a helpful regulation mechanism because it was avoidant, right? It was excuse making. I can't handle this. I'm having a breakdown. It's like, well, guess what, Mark? You know, you are the director. You are with a new colleague. You probably should um, figure out how to deal with it. And so, going back to the scientists and judge. The question is, does that strategy of saying I'm having a breakdown support me in having good well-being and building good relationships and being a good leader and making good decisions? And the answer is, you know, no, it's not. So I got to drop that strategy right out of my head, you know, and figure out a replacement strategy. So... You know, how might I think about it differently? What could I have said to my colleague to not make her think like, oh gosh, like I just started this job and my boss is having a breakdown. And so this is where the learning comes in, in terms of positive self-talk as opposed to negative or excuse self-talk. So there's a regulation strategy, positive self-talk? Yeah, Mark, you can get through this, Mark. You're a big boy, Mark. You can do it. Um... And that works, actually. Or, you know, I oftentimes get overwhelmed. Um, I don't like to prepare when I give presentations because I like to be fresh and I like, I know my stuff. Kind of like you, you can ask me whatever you want. And, you know, if I don't really know the answer, I'll just make something up. But, um, and it, it'll be based in something. It won't be just complete. Close to truth. Yeah. I'm very, very, very neurotic about research. I don't make up research, um, but I may tell you a story that just, you know, whatever, just to fill the space. Um, but my point really is that um, there are real evidence-based strategies to help us regulate our feelings. And so 
using my name in that third person saying, Mark, you can do this. Mark, take the high road. It does work. It does shift what area of your brain is being activated or reappraising saying, how can I look at this from a different perspective? Like I was saying a minute ago, sometimes I get really kind of just last minute. I don't get like anxiety around presenting, but sometimes I'm, I'm, I, I kind of dread it. I'm just not in the mood, you know, it's just like, Oh, got to do this again. Like I want to be free. And I try to think, how can I look at this from another perspective? Like what's another lens? Well, Mark, you're about to do a presentation to 30 school district leaders who have the opportunity to bring your approach to social and emotional learning to a million kids. That's a freaking amazing opportunity. And honestly, that does help, right? Because it's just like, I go from the dread of doing what I've done for a million times over and over again to being inspired to make a difference and to support children's lives. And that always calls you forward. It does. That's beautiful. I could see why. I think those things are definitely helpful. Absolutely. And how many of us have taught that stuff? I'm trying to think, actually. I don't have a number, but I'm trying to think in my own life. Like, in what way was I taught regulation skills? Looking at the world and looking at experience through emotional, the idea of regulating emotion or nervous system states it's kind of the whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like the whole the whole thing is just one ongoing form of regulation, dysregulation, and this this regulates me this way, or mm-hmm. that dysregulates me if I stay up too late that way, or you know I have this conversation that's painful, and then I feel really good, and like it, it just seems like one ongoing journey of dynamic balance, you know, or you know maybe that's part of the homeostatic d- dance of of things in flux. Um, I guess just a little riff on all that. The core of my work is at this concept of permission to feel that we have to give ourselves. We have to give everybody we live with and work with and love. And even the people we don't love that much, right? Just the permission to feel, to be their true full feeling selves. And then, you know, that, that leads to being that curious explorer of our own and others emotions, being the scientist, not the judge. And, then we got to learn those skills that I said. We got to become experts, you know, recognizing, understanding, labeling, expressing, regulating. And then we have to realize that we're going to fail. I've got to apologize. I've got to forgive. And that this is life's work. You know, my hope is that people will recognize that this, the effort um, that we do have to put into regulating is worth it because. I think it's just so much easier for us to not put the effort in. It's easier to just drink the extra beer or just tell someone to go blank off or not exercise or not get the sleep we need or not have self-compassion or compassion for others. It just It's easier to just not be regulated because there's no effort involved in it. But then the question to ask yourself is, am I happy, <laughs> right? Am I... Do I have well-being? Do I have good relationships? Do I make good decisions? Am I achieving the goals in my life? Or am I fooling myself? It's funny, I just started, I'm getting, you know, because of you, Jeff, you're in such good shape, I decided to start working out better or more. And um, maybe I should be the tough guy my father told me I wasn't. And so I started lifting weights a lot more during the pandemic. 
And um, I don't like it. Or I didn't like it for the first six months. And every time I would get this like thought in my head, like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, what are you trying to do? You're 52. Why are you trying to bulk up now? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. I just stop and I take a deep breath and I'm like, Mark, who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? And saying that to myself just brought me back to my goal and not allowing my immediate need for gratification, for freedom, for not dealing with the pain or the stress of doing the workout. Um, and so, I don't know. We, we, we ended talking about regulation. I just hope that people who listen will make a commitment to being aware of their feelings and to try strategies and use strategies that will help them achieve their goals and their dreams in life. Thank you so much for joining us today. All music is performed by the incredible and effervescent Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. Please support this podcast by following us on your favorite streaming platform, sharing it with your community and friends, and by making a modest donation to our Patreon page. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people make peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us.com.